you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Genesis, chapter number 25. Genesis 25. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'm going to begin reading at verse number uh, 29. It says here, And Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is my birthright to me? Uh, the King James there says, What profit shall this birthright do to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And I want to just minister from the word of the Lord for just a little bit on this thought tonight. Esau despised what Jacob desired. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We know that it is forever settled in heaven. And we pray now that you would write it on our hearts by making my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out and brought subject to the name of Jesus. Let us be convicted and converted by your love and truth. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And would you say amen? Praise God. First of all, I want to say how much I am enjoying reading the Bible through together with all of you. The version comments, I'm loving that. All the comments in person, uh, the various questions and everything that people are seeing. That has been great. Uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Uh, hard to believe tomorrow is April 1st. My Lord, that is not an April Fool's joke. It really is tomorrow. But uh, amen. We're going to be starting to read John and 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and the book of Jude, and that's going to be exciting. I've also enjoyed uh, Pastor Jeremy, our teaching pastor's teaching on Genesis. Amen. Now he's probably watching tonight or will later, so amen. But we've thanked him for the good job he's done, and I'm filling in tonight because he's working, of course. But amen. I want to look more closely at the text that I read to you here and reveal what God has revealed to me about birthrights and blessings and how the contrast between Jacob and Esau can still be seen in the church today. But with that, I want to first explore a couple of cross-references. Let's go to Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. And in Romans 9, 13, Paul refers to this, and he says simply, As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. The context of both Malachi and Romans is God's pain and disgust over the rejection of the children of Israel and over their rejection of him as their God. If you were to read Malachi in the Hebrew, or even Romans in the Greek, the phrase would actually be more uh, correct to say, Jacob was lovable, but Esau was hateful. 
And it doesn't take away from the fact that God hated somebody or something, but it also shows the intent of each of their hearts. We know that God does hate certain things, and as we explored back in January with Proverbs, He also hates He or the one who sows discord, the person. But it also, the context of this helps us to understand why God hated Esau, and it was quite frankly because Esau hated God. You see, hell will not be filled with people that God rejected, but rather filled with people that rejected God. And this is descriptive of Esau. He despised his birthright. Now to us that might just be a couple of words in a sentence, but it means in the, in the Hebrew that he disdained and held in contempt his birthright. It also further means that he viewed his birthright as despicable, vile, and worthless. That's pretty telling of the heart of Esau. And what he despised, Jacob desired. Jacob wanted it. Now, albeit his motives were questionable, or, or his methods, excuse me, his motive was right, but his methods were questionable. You know, that's your brother, man. Just give him some soup. Come on, right? And of course, we know later he stole the blessing by putting the hair on his arms and his mom helped him do that and everything and so forth. Uh, and, and, and again, while his methods were questionable, his motive was right. He wanted the blessing. He wanted the birthright. And, and as I read this and I read the account over and over and over again, I have for many years, I, I get the image of this. If, if you're familiar with how things were passed down everything was orally passed down and and you can get the idea that grandpa abraham would have been sitting around the campfire telling the stories of what god had done and how god had visited them and i can see jacob sitting on the edge of his rock looking up at grandpa saying come on tell me again about the oaks of mambri grandpa i know you've told me how the angel came but i want to hear it again and 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 what what color did was the angel and how, what color was his clothes and what kind of day was it grandpa and he's interested he wants all the details of the story and even though he's probably heard it a hundred times tell me again because I want to hear it again tell me when the Lord came down and visited you about Sodom grandpa I want to hear that story again he desired the birthright he desired the blessing well meanwhile on the other side of the campfire this is the image I get of Esau oh seriously we've heard this a hundred times grandpa I'm going to bed this is boring he despised it. He disdained it. He wanted nothing to do with it. Grumbling, complaining. Esau despised and Jacob desired. And a few minutes ago, if you recall, I said, the contrast between Jacob and Esau can still be seen in the church today. The birthright that Esau despised and Jacob desired can be compared to our spiritual birthright and blessings as born-again believers. You know we're called to be saints, right? Amen. Which means we're called to be holy as He is holy. We're called to pursue peace. Well, I can't answer for everybody, but like Joshua, it's for me and my house. 
we're going to desire the birthright and the blessings. I want to have the attitude of Jacob and not the heart of Esau. Two of the most common used terms for God's people in Scripture are sheep or saints. And that's mostly sheep in the Old Testament, but saints in both. Let me just unpack a couple characteristics about sheep that's interesting to me. Um, you would think that maybe you've heard that sheep are sheepish. That's, that's a myth. They're really not. They're, they're neither bashful nor embarrassed. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. True sheep aren't bashful or embarrassed about who they belong to. Uh, sheep love to flock together. They, they refrain from isolation. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25 that we're, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so much more even as we see the day approaching. Sheep love and seek out light. Anybody know what 1 John 2.17 talks about? How that, you know, walking with Him and being in the light? Sheep love that. Sheep welcome the shepherd in their lives and especially during the birthing process. You can compare that to church growth. You can compare that to uh, wanting the shepherd, wanting uh, other sheep to be involved in that process. Sheep will never be seen at a circus. They don't do tricks. Uh, but you will see sheep, in the, in the spiritual sense, equipped to serve others. Just like the wool is used to serve others and, and sheared often. Did you know that sheep never bite other sheep or the shepherd? Goats do that, but not sheep. The Bible talks about not biting and devouring one another. That's what a goat does, but not a sheep. A sheep won't gossip about his brother or sister, his other fellow sheep. He won't bite the shepherd like the goats will. Hmm. Pretty good preaching right there. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> now the word most used for God's elect, which is you and I, the born again believers, the, you, the word most used in the Bible is the word saint. Okay. It's used 79 times in the old, 62 times in the new, which is a total of 141 times. And Psalm 16, verse 3, gives us uh, an overview of how God feels about saints. Psalm 16, 3 says, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Wow. And when you consider the depth of what saint means, and that we're called to be saints you can gain a fresh understanding of why we should be like Jacob, desiring the birthright and the blessings and, for, and, and keep ourselves from ever being like Esau who despised his birthright and blessings. The 79 times in the Old Testament where the word saint is used, uh, which sometimes it just simply says holy or holy ones, it means sacred, holy, apartness, consecrated, dedicated, or hallowed. You can get a sense of what this word is meaning when God calls us that. The 62 times in the New Testament, it means holy, sacred, set apart by God and for God. He sets us apart for Himself. It also means in the New Testament, different from the world because one is like the Lord. 
set apart, distinguished and distinct, and special to the Lord. That's pretty powerful when you begin to unpack what that really means to be a saint. In other words, if I could just kind of simplify it, it means involving the entirety of who I am, the wholeness of who I am, inwardly and outwardly. It's who I am. It's where I go. It's what I say. It's what I do or don't do. It's, it's how I dress. It's, it's, it's what I participate in or refrain from. And so on and so forth. It's my attitude. It's, it's my demeanor. It's my mindset. It's all of those things together. Not just a part or a piece, but the whole together. Right? I want to be a saint. I want to be a Jacob that desires the birthright, the blessings. Oh, I'll, I'll also learn from Jacob and, and get it the right way. He, he, again, went about it the wrong way, but I'll have the same attitude and desire to want it. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's, let's jump here. I want to show you something here. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, beginning of verse 1, says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, headstrong, uh, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, from such people turn away. Wow. That's quite a, a, a pedigree of, of people to consider there. Verse 6, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, and they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed, but uh, uh, you know, that's not just talking about the state of society. Let's recall that this is a Godly biblical book written to godly biblical people. Yeah. And, and verse 5 really gives us an indication of who he's talking about here. The world doesn't have a form of godliness and deny its power, but some churches do. And so he's really describing a compromised church. Can I tell you what this world needs more than anything right now? It's not another politician, trust me. We, and, and I'm thankful for those. I've got a friend right now that's running in Oklahoma. I went to Israel with him, and he's, he's running on a conservative value platform. And, and praise God, you know, I hope he wins, all that. But what we really don't need is another politician. What we really need is a strong church that will bind together in prayer and be who God has called us to be. A messed up world needs a church with the mess edge for the mess of the age that we're in. Amen. And what we've got to do is the more we pray, the more we fast, the more we become like Him, the more we soak up His Word, the better equipped we are to offer people true hope. 
Because it's not based in this world. It's not based on anything in this world. It's purely based upon the solid rock, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And so we have to be careful that this compromised spirit never finds its way in the church. And, and, and here's, here's how it'll happen. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It ain't going to happen by all of a sudden me or Lucas getting up here saying, okay, we have an announcement. We're going to start preaching false doctrine, everybody. It don't happen that way. It'll happen because of a little thing here and a little thing there and a little thing here. And before you know it, all of a sudden, uh-oh, what just happened? You know what I have discovered in my weight loss and weight gain journey? It is a whole lot easier to gain weight than it is lose it. If food was just bad, it would be a lot easier to lose weight. You know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, last year I was able to blame it on COVID, but I'm finding that's hard to do this year. Yeah. Well, but you know what it is? It's, it's, it's a pound here and a pound there. And, well, in the same sense, it's, well, we'll, we'll, we'll allow that and we'll, we'll do this. And, and before you know it, you, let me explain it this way. <clears throat> Peter denied Jesus, right? Now, Jesus prophesied that this would happen. But I believe there was another reason why. One of the gospel writers says Peter followed him afar off. The farther you get from Jesus, the easier it is to, it is to deny him. We also know, Peter again, that when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. Now, I don't know if he took one step or three. I, you know, I don't know how far he was away from Jesus. But let's just assume he took two steps. He had to take two to get back. If he'd have just trusted Jesus the whole time and kept his eyes on him, how many steps would he have taken? I don't know. I don't know how close Jesus was to him. But I do know when he took his eyes off of him and saw the storm, that's when he sank. And that's how simple it is to begin to just fall away. Paul writes and talks about drifting away. If you've ever been on a river and just let the river take you where it wants to, you know what that it feels like. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, why am I 25 feet away from where I got kind of, you know, I, I put the boat in here, why am I? Well, because you didn't put the oars in. You didn't do anything. You just drifted. And it's that way sometimes spiritually. God has, <clears throat> excuse me, called us to be saints. I believe he, he has called us to desire His Word, His truth. To be holy as He is holy. Not, not for prideful reasons, but so that others will see God in us and through us. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." Did you just hear and see the connection to Esau and bitterness and holiness and peace? 
all in that same context. Let me just kind of get on my, my own personal soapbox. I, I, I love all of the Bible, and I, I love being contextual, because if, if you don't stay within the context, it'll eventually lead to pretext. And a lot of people will, will quote 12 verse 14, and they'll say, follow peace, and you know, without which no man will see the Lord. And that's kind of true, but it also says pursue peace too. It's not just peace, it's also holiness. It's not just holiness, it's also peace, it's both. It's also doing this so that you don't have bitterness in your hearts. It's also realizing that there was a man named Esau who despised his birthright and then tried to get it back but could not get it back. Even though he sought it carefully with tears. Why did he fail at getting his birthright back? It's because he didn't value his birthright. He didn't care whether or not he was the son of Isaac and Abraham. He could care less about the promised seed that would come one day of the Messiah. He could care less about the stories of what Abraham... I am quite certain that Abraham shared with him that story of going up to that mountain, Mount Moriah, and taking his son with him, and a picture of how that points to Christ. Jesus says that Abraham saw Christ on that day that he saw his day i believe abraham shared that but i or excuse me esau's over there he don't care about it he doesn't it doesn't matter to him he just he just wants to do his own thing that's why his their encounters with god in esau's mind were reduced to either myth or legend he became agnostic towards god and when he did seek it carefully with tears it wasn't genuine repentance. It, it, not to be funny, but <clears throat> I'm sure all of you can relate, especially if you had a sibling that you grew up with. And you get into a fight, and mom and dad say, okay, apologize, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Well, you no more meant it than anything, right? You know, now hug. Oh. We done yet, you know? Right? You, you don't, you're not sorry. You're just doing it so mom and dad can get off your back. Well, that's Esau. He's not coming down to the altar to say, oh God, I'm wrong. He's not praying like David in Psalm 51. Oh Lord, my sin is ever before me. Forgive me. I need you. His, his, his wanting the birthright and blessing back it's because he, he wants the value of that double portion firstborn blessing. He wants a little bit more land. wants a little bit more of, of Isaac's money. And if I could just say it this way, you know, he's realizing daddy's got some money and he's about to die and I'm going to make sure I'm in the will. So it's not real repentance. He's filled with pride. He's filled with bitterness. You know, the Bible talks about two types of sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But it says the sorrow of the world produces death. He had the sorrow of the world. His sorrow, his tears was, I'm missing out on an opportunity. It wasn't, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for my attitude. There wasn't a true godly sorrow that produced repentance. Esau had missed. 
his opportunity. And because he was hateful, despising his birthright and blessings, he would not be restored. It's a tragic story. It's a tragic end. I don't want to become like that. I don't want to lose my chance to repent. I don't want to have my heart hardened against God because I despise my birthright. Hmm. You know, I also noticed something there in Hebrews 12, 14, that if we pursue peace and holiness with all people, it says if we don't, we won't see the Lord, right? No one will see the Lord. I, I see that as a, a twofold thing. Number one, if I don't pursue peace and holiness, I won't see the Lord. Meaning, I won't go to heaven. I won't spend eternity with Him. But even more tragically, if I don't pursue peace and holiness, others won't see the Lord. You say, well, how is that true? Well, because I'm to be a reflection of Him. I'm to take Him to my community. I'm to take Him into my neighborhood. I'm to reflect the, the principles of Jesus Christ, the love and truth of who He is. And if, if through my example I'm not pursuing peace and holiness, then others won't see the Lord. You see, what it comes down to is there are some people who are saved, but they're not sanctified. Here's what saddens my heart. Is those who want to be saved, but refuse to be sanctified. You see, when one is born again, when you repent of your sins, and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the evidence of that initially is the speaking in tongues. It means you're justified, which means you're freed from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. And at that point, you've realized Jesus took your place, and you accept that He did so, and you repent calling upon His name, and you're baptized in His name, and you, you receive His Spirit in His name. You realize you're justified, freed from the penalty. You no longer have to pay the penalty for the wages of sin that you committed. That's a pretty good deal. Because if you think about it, there's not a one of us that could afford to pay the wages of our sin. We don't have sinless blood that can atone for our sin. We don't have enough education to figure it out and come up with a different plan. We don't have, uh, you know, we are a creation of the Creator. Therefore, there's nothing we can do except go to Him and say, I need you. And I need to be saved by you. And what a blessing it is to be freed from the penalty of sin. Amen? It means I'm acquitted for the crimes of sin that I committed. Wow. But the sad part is, too many Christians, too many born-again believers, even in apostolic churches, stop there. I'm saved. Woohoo! Good. What are you doing with that salvation? Are you moving on in to other things? I'm glad you can shout and dance that Jesus has saved you and forgiven you, but are you walking in truth? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in holiness? 
In other words, are you moving on to being sanctified? You see, when we become sanctified, we are freed from the power of sin. Let me, let me explain it. In Isaiah 35, he talks about a highway of holiness. And he says that on this highway, it's about verses 8, 9, and 10, that on this highway of holiness, that the lions can't go there. In other words, I'm freed from the power of sin. If a lion, if I can use that to make a reference that, you know, he's the roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour, he can't go on that. He might be able to be in the, either of the sides of the ditches, but he can't get on that highway. So as long as I'm walking on that highway of holiness, living in sanctification, he can't get there. I guess M.C. Hammer was right. If you're on the highway of holiness, the devil can't touch you. Don't worry, I won't dance. Okay, maybe I will. No. <laughs> Hallelujah. When our children were born, they were declared ours both biologically and legally. My wife had conceived them in her womb, and nine months later, we were holding them. That's a picture of justification. And no matter what they looked like, acted like, no matter if they had hair or didn't have hair, those were our children. But, as many if not all of you have seen both of our children, you know they look like us and act like us, for better or for worse. Okay? Amen. That's sanctification. I'm not just born of my father. I now look and act like my father. That's what sanctification is. I'll never forget a few years ago, Bax and I had taken a picture and somebody said, on the, uh, one of his friends said, hey, is that your brother? And that made me feel good. And Braxton's like, no, that's my dad, man. That's weird, you know. I was like, yeah, you know. So, praise God. The other day, Brooklyn, what'd she say? You look hip, Shannon? Is that what it was? Told, told Shannon she looked hip. I was like, well, okay then, hallelujah. You know, my wife is hip now, whatever that means, you know. <laughs> that, that's good, okay. All right, hey, that's great. Yeah, good, amen. Well, what I'm getting at here is I, I, saints and, and those who have that desire of Jacob move into that place of saying, I don't just want to be born of my father. I want to look like him, act like him. I want to be like him. That's what sanctification is all about. And the beautiful part of it is there's a third process coming called being glorified. Justified, sanctified, glorified. We're going to be glorified one of these days real soon. And this this flesh, this mortal, is going to take on immortality, and this corruption is going to take on incorruption, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, and, and on that day, amen, we're not just going to be freed from the penalty and freed from the power, but forevermore we'll be freed from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. If we've been more than just saved, you can't be saved and skip sanctification and then be glorified. You've got to be saved and sanctified in order to be glorified. Hallelujah. Don't be like Esau and despise 
your birthright and lose the blessing being cursed and hated by God. Did you know this happened with Israel too? Isaiah 5.24, the last part of the verse, he says, Because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And he's talking about the reason that he's brought upon them judgment is because they rejected him and despised his word. I don't want to be that person. Instead, on the converse, I want to have the opposite attitude like that of the church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3.8 says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength. Watch this. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's who I want to be like. And I believe you do too. So here's what happens. Saints pursue Peace and holiness inwardly and outwardly. They don't despise their spiritual birthright or their blessings. They act like, behave like, communicate like, live like, dress like, act like their father. I want to be like him. The Bible tells us that the grace of God has appeared to all men. Titus 2, uh, beginning at verse 11. It's appeared to all men. You know what I, I, if you take that verse and you take Matthew 24, 15, or 14, where it says the gospel will be preached in all the world, and you take how that in Revelation 14 an angel is sent to preach the everlasting gospel to every nation, tongue, tribe, and person, I believe everybody's going to have a chance to hear the gospel. Grace is going to appear to all men. But watch what grace does. It doesn't just come to save you. Titus goes on to say, to teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So it doesn't just come to save us and say, woohoo, we're saved, yippee. It comes to also teach us, to train us, to equip us to live in sanctification and to pursue God's peace and by the way when Paul said that to Titus in verse 15 he told him he said speak these things exhorting and rebuking with all authority let no one despise you well I don't believe anybody here despises me I don't believe anybody watching online is but I will say I'm going to preach it I'm going to teach it and believe that you'll be exhorted and equipped with the word of God I want the world to recognize me as a saint, as one who reflects the peace and holiness of God. I must be that way. I have to be that way. Hallelujah. I have to let God cleanse my heart, forgiving others so that no root of bitterness springs up within me. I have to let His peace come into my life and overwhelm me and, and give me the strength and the comfort I need. I can't remember, I think it was you, Sister Dana. Yes, it was you in your testimony that said you'd gone through some trials before, but in the one now, and you, you mentioned how that it was the hardest you're facing, but the difference was I have peace from God to go through this. 
It's pursuing that peace and others seeing that peace in us that even in the midst of trial, it's pursuing that holiness where we act like and look like Him and, and live like Him that others then see Him in us. Praise God. We must let God purify our mouths, purify the meditation of our heart so that we become acceptable in His sight. We have to let Him convict us and convert us. We have to obey His Word, respecting the distinctions between males and females. And by the way, there's still only two genders. Amen? And, and respecting that distinction that He has set forth all the way back in Genesis of dressing modestly and appropriately. Not in a sense of cultish action, but in a sense of saying, I want to please Him because I belong to Him. We must pursue that peace and holiness and pointing others to do the same. I got to thinking about something the other day in my own home. If there's, if there's no peace in my home, where do I begin to lay that blame? Well, I know God is not at fault. And I'd be a fool just to point the finger at my wife. That's what Adam did, and look where it got him. Look where it got the world. And so I have to point inwardly and say, God, is there something within me that I need to have that peace renewed within my heart? Is there something I need to change? I, I'm, I'm, I'm being careful not to be overly specific, but I believe you're getting what I'm directing at in my spirit and my heart in what I'm saying and preaching here tonight. It also, you see, this type of saint mindset, this type of Jacob mindset that desires the birthrights and blessings also has to say, God, um, I want to make sure that uh, what I'm watching and listening to and reading and so forth, it's also pleasing to you. Pastor Lucas and I and none of the other pastoral team is going to get up here and air a laundry list and say, you can do this and you can't do that and you can go here and you can't go there, can't watch this and you can't watch that. No, it's not what we're going to do. We're going to pray that you have enough Holy Ghost that says, you know what, I'm not going to do that or I am going to do that. I'm, I'm going to act that way or not act that way. Having enough Holy Ghost to let His Word guide and lead you. Praise the Lord. You see, the, the spirit of Jacob with what I'm describing can later be found in something that Jacob does. He is leaving Laban and he is going to repent. And of course, I can't find it. I thought I had it marked. But I'll, I'll refer to it. It's, it's in the mid-30s somewhere in Genesis. But he tells his family, he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave behind everything, and we're going to change our garments, and we're going to get rid of some idols. And, and, and they took some things off and put some things on physically and literally, and they made some attitude changes, and they repented and built an altar before God. 
And, and so be it. That's what revival's all about, isn't it? Amen. Earlier, when we looked at Hebrews 12, 14, we saw that it's a pursuing of peace and a pursuing of holiness. Thank you, Pastor Lucas. It's Genesis 35. Amen. I, I was close. Let me just read this to you. And Jacob, and God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make thee an altar there to God that appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau your brother. Then Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. By the way, Jacob is still calling it Bethel. And after this experience, after this repentance moment, after he encounters God later in this chapter, he then changes the name to El Bethel, the God of the house of God. See, Bethel by itself is the house of God. You could almost say he had a relationship with the house of God. But after this repentance moment, he now calls it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Amen. But back in Hebrews 12, 14, and I'm bringing this to, to a close here. It was peace and holiness, pursuing peace and holiness. Peace there can simply mean tranquility. It's, it's not the absence of chaos. That'll be one day in his presence forevermore. But right now, it's as Dana mentioned in her testimony, it's that peace that God gives us even in the midst of difficult circumstances that we are tranquil in our spirit. And the word holiness can just simply be defined as purity there. In other words, you could say tranquil purity or peaceful holiness pointing others to him. It includes the whole person, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 bears this out. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Jesus is coming soon, and I want to go when He comes. I want to be ready. I want to hear that trumpet and be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. So I'm going to be like Jacob, and I'm going to desire my spiritual birthright and my blessings. I'm, I'm going to pursue peace and holiness. I'm going to be who God wants me to be. I'm going to be like the church of Philadelphia and not uh, deny his name, and I am going to keep his word. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me tonight? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Esau goes on to become something that is despised to the point that Moses warns the people not to partake of that. When Jacob is sent to find a wife of Rachel's family. He goes back to Laban, the same place where Isaac had got his wife. Esau decides to marry 
women that his mom and dad encouraged him not to be a part of. He actually winds up marrying into the branch of Ishmael. Goes polar opposite of his family. And, and, and he does it to spite them. I don't want to be like that. Oh, I've got questions. And, and, and by the way, if you've got questions, Jesus has answers. And, and I welcome questions on the Word of God. I welcome questions on how we live and why we live. And, and I'll be happy to sit down with you. I know Pastor Lucas. I know our wives would. I know any of the pastoral team would. We'll sit down and answer those questions with you. Love to have a Bible study. I told somebody the other night, I said, man, I'll have Bible study. If, it, if I have to get up at 4 o'clock every morning, I'll have Bible study because I want people to know the Word. Praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be like you. Thank you for calling us saints and calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Help us to walk after you in truth and in love in purity and peace and holiness. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Do what you've called us to do. Go where you want us to go. To let our hearts and minds and everything inwardly and outwardly be pleasing to you, God. That our lives would be a testimony of you, about you, and to you. That others may see you and in our reflection as you are reflected in our lives. We desire our birthright and blessings. We don't despise it. In Jesus' mighty name, praise God, praise God. Encourage friends, family, neighbors, co-workers to come. There's um, cards you can give them out at the uh, information booth. It's regular business cards or the prayer cards. It has the church information, so grab some of those. Amen. Encourage them to come. Send them the Facebook invite, and let's have church this weekend. God bless all of you in Jesus' name.